comfortable and adept at working with technology so that you're comfortable communicating and working with the different software. It's all dependent. The remote model is 100% dependent, right, on technology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life and Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA, and your host for this podcast. Well, as you know, if you've been listening for a while now, we're a show that's all about highlighting the different career paths that you can take starting from a background in accounting. And our guest for today fits into that purpose very well. We've had a variety of guests from industry jobs, from tax positions, audit positions, and and several of what some people would call alternative career paths, I guess. But there's a service that's becoming more and more popular out in the marketplace these days that, frankly, we haven't touched on too much. That service is that of being an outsourced CFO or a virtual or fractional CFO. In many ways, there's some similarities to working in public accounting, but it's also similar to working in industry. And we're seeing that structure pop up more and more as technology catches up in our accounting industry and allows individuals to be able to better serve now in that capacity. Our guest for today is Robin theme and she's in the Maryland area and she's built her career over the last 15 years or so around that model. She's got some great insights for us regarding how she's been able to structure her business around her life. And so if you have some of those same goals to make your work life fit more in line with what you'd like your overall life to look like, this is going to be a great show for you. And if you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online as well. Our website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of accounting career-focused content materials there for you. We have books, we have blogs, we have other podcasts, of course, and even some tools for employers as well. In fact, if you are an employer, one tool you want to check out is our publication titled Hiring for Accounting. It's a 45-page comprehensive ebook on how to successfully fill accounting positions. And you can find it once again at our website, www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Robin Theme. Well, hello, Robin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Robin Theme on the line with us today. Robin is in Maryland, and she had noticed some of our other Maryland guests that we've been privileged to interview recently, and she decided to reach out. And frankly, I haven't had many guests. Actually, I'm not sure I've had any guests on the show from the virtual CFO career path, so to speak. So I thought she would be a great person to interview for our program. And although we talk about cloud computing a lot these days, even on this podcast, Robin was working out remote work situations before we really had anything that resembled the cloud, back in the days of tools like PC Anywhere and and other tools like that. So she's got a lot of experience to share with us. Robin, I definitely want to get into your virtual CFO business now and and how that works, but I do always like to start at the beginning. What initially led you to pursue accounting as a possible career in the first place? So Mark, when I was a young child, anywhere between middle school and elementary school, one of my favorite things to do was to play future house with one of my neighbors. And we would get together and 
think about what a future house would look like and develop little buttons and gadgets to press. They basically spend hours thinking about that. And part of it was definitely brought on from, you know, different TV shows that we watched and so forth. But part of it was just like a fascination from my end on how things work and the what the different innovations are that are you know kind of going to be I'm going to be presented with and although I think that's a little unusual for an accountant to like reflect on their fascination with how things would play out in the future I think it it did influence me as I progressed through my education because I always wanted to understand how things work behind the scenes and so accounting you know provides that like mechanics of how a business works and I certainly wasn't conscious of it at the time but I think I was drawn to that element of of accounting that that most people don't even think about, that it's that underpinning of how a business runs and the oil that's running through the, the engine of a business. So I think when I ended up at University of Delaware, I immediately gravitated towards business for sure. I was definitely knew that. I was crystal clear on that. I don't really think I knew what accounting was until I, until I started to take some classes. I just knew I, you know, had this passion for understanding how things work. So uh, one thing led to another and I was pretty much embraced all my accounting courses and then followed in a path similar to others where I went from there to public accounting and, you know, one thing led to another. So that was, that's the beginning Interesting. I, was, I had pictures in my mind of you and your friend, you know, little kids, you know, playing, you know, like Star Trek in the house. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. I, might, okay. I know I'm dating myself by talking about the Jetsons, but yeah, Star Trek definitely, but also the Jetsons flying around in those. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but that was one of those shows that it was in my head at that time. Um, there was probably some others that I can't think of right now, but the, but the, just that concept of the future world with things flying around and, you know, you walk into a room and there's a button to push and, you know, now we have these vacuum cleaners that are walking around our houses and things like that. And, you know, the, some of these things were visualized and some of them, you know, we're still heading in that direction. Too cool. Yeah, actually, I, I can visualize that the robot made that they had. Yep. (laughs) Rosie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Too neat. Too neat. So what were your first few professional jobs like? Uh, Obviously, you said public accounting. I mean, did you start out tax audit, both? Right. I started in a small firm in Philadelphia that is been purchased by, I think, BDA at this time, many years ago. And it was um, one of these firms that just did everything, you know, tax and audit and and advisory. And I worked there for a few years in, in the Philadelphia area. And primarily, I would say, did the classic audit work there. And I, after that, I, for personal reasons, moved to the Washington, D.C. area and worked for a number of years for um, a firm, Beers and Cutler, which was a fairly well-known firm in the Washington, D.C. area with a lot of work centered around real estate, but also just fairly generic in terms of their classic part of the year you might be spent doing tax returns and part of the year 
you would be doing audit. Uh, there was definitely times where there was these people, high net worth people who were, in fact, there was this classic situation with this one gentleman that would walk in with this big Bloomingdale's bag filled with all of his tax stuff. He was worth millions, but he, he would come in and bring all his paperwork in and, you know, I would prepare his return. And, you know, that was what we did. Interesting. All paper. <laughs> I didn't intend to ask you this, but now I'm curious because I know, obviously, you eventually moved into industry. What was your reason for, for making that change instead of you know, continuing along the public accounting route? Yeah, when I was in public accounting, I also, I was one of the people that was really um, gravitated, it complemented my interest earlier towards technology. And, and I really, at times, felt like it wasn't, the, the embrace of technology that I had myself was slow to come on some of the public accounting work that I did. And I definitely knew that was something that I wanted to pursue. So I think, the, you know, on the one hand, it was just the career path and what interested me. And the other was a general gut instinct that I don't know if I can effectively communicate this, but it is really ring true that I wanted to be, quote, on the inside. I really wanted to, it, you know, again, it continues this pathway of like wanting to know how things tick. And while they're preparing tax returns and doing the audits and so forth, you know, of course you do learn quite a bit, but you're not really a part of the team. You're outside looking in. That's actually, you know, part of the definition of public accounting. And I ultimately, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I was really clear about that from, from a very young age. And I, I just think, you know, the concept of being in public accounting just really was just ultimately not uh, complementary to that because your role, especially years ago, was as the outsider. Okay. I know that you had some positions, you know, in industry, you know, prior to, to starting your virtual CFO service. And I'll leave it up to you as to whether, you know, we should hit each one or, or how that should work. But I am curious what positions were sort of key to you developing your CFO skills? Because I know, you know, all that doesn't happen in public accounting. So that's you know, right. How, how, yeah, it really yeah. doesn't. Yeah, so I went from public accounting to working. I'm very proud of my employment world because I never burned a bridge along the way, which, you know, I guess I feel pretty good about. And I, as I progressed through my career, I kind of developed a longer and longer tailwind of, you know, colleagues that I still speak with today. So I worked with, I went from public accounting, I worked for Wilmington Trust Company, which is a you know fairly good sized bank in Delaware, an explosives manufacturer, and as a software consultant, where I was implementing Great Plains Dynamics, which is Dynamics now, and then worked as a controller and CFO in the real estate industry. So I had a variety of experiences and. Many of those experiences, all of them actually, were a complement of both technology and the accounting. So while I was working for the bank, there was a pronouncement related to how assets should be valued, where they need to be valued at market and coming up with ways 
for that valuation to be done in the early days, at least at a relatively small bank, required uh, really pushing technology to its limits. So I, I, throughout my different jobs, as I went from one to one, I was constantly blending the technology and the accounting. And then when I was in the manufacturing businesses and the controller and the CFO, that work continued where I was also heading up, in most instances, the operational elements of the business. So I think just really developing a very diverse background and making decisions about when it was time to move on from one company to another. It's been a long time since I've even thought about that, but it would just, you know, kind of present itself and it makes sense. The software consulting work that I did where I was implementing Great Plains Dynamic um, was for a public accounting firm and the public accounting firms at times uh, had challenges with kind of implementing technology services into their businesses. So as an example, that type of work, public accounting firms took a break for a while from getting involved with systems implementation. So I left that firm and, and then went and, um, you know, got involved with being a controller. So it's really just been a progression of always like finding an organization that wants my help, not just on the accounting side, but wants me to be involved from a full cycle and, you know, from all perspective. I think that experience really like brought me to this point where I was really excited about being able to provide these services on a fractional basis, but it's very eclectic. I, I've worked in a lot of a very wide variety of types of organizations, I would say that. So what did lead to you deciding to take the plunge and start Kensington Business Solutions? And I know it looks different now than it did then, I'm sure, but you know, what, what were the early days like and you know, what does it look like now? Yeah, I mean, it, for one, we you know, changed our name from Kensington Business Solutions to KBS CFO in part because of the realities that most of the firms that I, most of, the, most of my clients are very far removed from Kensington or you know and don't even know where Kensington is so we we did change our name to KBS CFO but i as i said earlier i really always had envisioned that at one point i would go out on my own it was like a dream of mine and it really presented the opportunity presented itself very clearly primarily to be honest with you around when my children were at a point where it seemed like it would complement their school schedules and the way I wanted to have, you know, basically balance out my life. We use the work-life balance was a driver in my decision. So I, I wanted more flexibility in my schedule. And I also knew I had gotten to this point where I was becoming clearer and clearer the type of work that I could provide, and and I saw a demand for it. Wonderful. Now, what does KBS look like now? Is it solely you? Do you have employees, or you know, and what? I guess what's your core business? Yeah. So in 2004, I started KBS, and I it was myself, and within like a very short period of time, I had at least one other person working with me at uh, with for KBS and today we have 12 people working domestically and two 
people that work for me in India. So we're definitely a team and uh, I couldn't do what I do without everybody's contribution. What our core business is, and it's been that way for a while, is the what I describe as virtual or fractional CFO. They, those words are both uh, ring true and um, client accounting services or being an accounting department for growing businesses. And we work primarily with certain industries. A lot of those, my colleagues are, we're all kind of recognizing that it, that providing these kinds of services works a lot better when you pick a couple industries to work with. So we, we've done that as well. And um, it's really, we, in some ways, um, a lot of the work that we do, um, the outcomes have not changed that much, but the methods that we use, it, it's, we've continued to progress as leveraging all the technology that makes sense to use. The company started in 2004 with me and whoever I brought on from that point forward, we've been virtual or not dependent on a physical location since day one. As you mentioned in your intro, I've been effective at working virtually and strive for it for before 2004. But for sure, when I started the company, I wanted to be paperless and take advantage of any kind of technological tools I could to essentially, you know, make sure I could serve uh, serve clients in an effective, timely manner. That's why I do it. You know, it's become in vogue and there's all these other good reasons, but it, it's great when you can help a client within minutes by hopping onto the same system that they're using. But yeah. Out of your domestic employees or team members, how, how many of them could you see if you wanted to within an hour? Are any of them within driving distance? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I would say yes. For all the domestic team members, they're actually all within an hour to an hour and a half radius of where I am. And I go to an office because I prefer to do that. Um, I leave my house and walk to an office and I have a setup with computers. And there's a number of people that do like to come to the office sometimes, but most of the team works effectively virtually from where they are. Okay. You know, I was going to ask you about this anyway. I restructured a little bit, though, because this is interesting. So we hear a lot about remote work these days, and a lot of individuals look at it as a benefit, you know, if they can work remotely at least part of the time, if not, you know, the entire time with an employer. What do you feel it's important for those individuals that are looking to become remote with their employer to realize that they may not realize, you know, going into it. And on the other side, I mean, what what do you feel it's important for an employer, you know, to know if they're thinking about doing this? You know, any advice in either of those areas? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, like you referenced, there's a lot of appeal um, conceptually to this concept of, hey, I'm going to have a job and I can work from anywhere. And that is really sounds so appealing to many people. And honestly, Mark, I've hired some people that were enamored with that thought and they did not work out so well because that remote environment has a couple drawbacks or a couple requirements that 
can be both drawbacks and can be people could love it. So one of the drawbacks is you're alone in potentially in a place. And some people think they're going to like remote work. And then they realize that it's kind of um, depends on their personality, but they, you know, like going into an office and seeing people and, and how do you can as an employer kind of complimenting what you say, how do you do that? How do you achieve this sense that you're a part of a group when you're all working from different locations? So we've been challenged by that. And then the other challenge, I believe, is that you really need to be what I describe as a proficient technology adopter. You need to be comfortable and adept at working with technology so that you're comfortable communicating and working with the different software. It's all dependent. The remote model is 100% dependent, right, on technology. So if you don't know comfortably how to share a screen or you are very comfortable where somebody needs to literally write on a piece of paper the instructions for you. Um, I'm not being critical. It's just those things don't work that way in a remote environment. You have to do everything digitally. If you, you know, we did, we had one woman who worked for me years ago and, you know, let's just say 15 years ago, a person who was going to be entering transactions would walk into an office and to their right possibly would be an inbox, right, with a big stack of papers. They would just sit down and start typing in the information from those papers. And my clients got rid of their offices and they sent, they circulate the papers digitally. And so one of the people that works for me, worked for me at that time didn't continue to work because they, that was the environment they were more comfortable with. There's like soft elements to the remote environment that, you know, affect people. And there's also just, again, the, the technology and being comfortable with that. Okay. Okay. You know, you briefly mentioned this to me earlier, and I was trying to figure out the right way to fit it in, and now I see exactly how it fits into your story. You said you have a unique way of hiring people. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, because I, that may fit into this. Uh, yep. Yeah, finding the right people remotely and, you know, for the employers that listen, because I, I do know we have, you know, some previous guests and uh, other managerial level folks that listen in. Tell us about your unique hiring style because it's working for you. So how does that work? Thank you. So we conduct what some companies, there's a lot of material written on it. If you look for it, there's auditions is a term that's used and there's tryouts and there's all these different names, but um, I call it a working interview, which is not the most novel in in description, but it's basically a simulation that goes over a three-day period of time. It's conducted completely virtually because that's, that's the environment that I have set up and it involves anywhere from 15 to 20 assignments ranging from ensuring that somebody can log in to a password management system and create a password to looking at a digital representation of a bill and identifying for me what key elements of the bill should be entered and also looking at different websites of clients that we have and asking them kind of as a test, to be honest with you, you know, what type of work 
does that client provide? And what would be the, the account that would be used to record the revenue for that client? So the working interview includes all kinds of types of questions, but it's also throughout the process, there's a constant feed of communication digitally going on. I use a product called Asana, which is um, a workflow tool that's used to manage when work gets done and how it gets done. And I am corresponding with that person and saying, you know, that's a great answer. And how would you respond if the client asked you this question? So we're going through a lot of different elements of really simulating what our work environment is going to be like. And the assignments are doled out through the three-day period of time with some assignments being done within a few hours after the working interview is deployed and some, you know, being doled out and they don't, they're not due for two days. So I uh, included in that as well is a discussion about the core values that we have here and making sure that the employee or candidate understands those core values and has an opportunity to discuss them and make sure they're comfortable with them. So we really cover quite a lot more than you can cover if someone walks into your office and sits down and you have what was the old school interview where you learn very little (laughs) about how it's going to be to work with that person. So, you know, I really am a big believer. I've hired many people without ever, you can, you know, call me crazy, but without ever meeting them in person. So, or seeing what they look like. I, the last thing that happens is looking at them, but that's at the very end of a process, hiring process. So uh, I think for, for us, I have had people start the working interview and say, no, thank you. And for me, I feel really proud of that, that we've all, we've figured that out together. And um, I have a high respect for, for those decisions. And so it's, I do encourage any kind of tryout or simulation as opposed to, uh, or complementing perhaps, you know, what people use as the, the, the classic hiring techniques of sitting and having a phone conversation or in person and not actually providing a sampling of the work that you do. That's interesting. It reminds me of best practices I've heard when you're hiring an international worker. You know, if you're Mm. contracting out that, yes, you look at background a little bit, but, you know, you can't meet them, and so you, you give them small projects to start out with and, and then see if it's going to work both ways later. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm familiar with working interviews. Honestly, I've never heard of a three-day working interview. I right. In the context of, you know, do this Excel spreadsheet for me and if, you know, an hour later, you know, they're done. Do you pay yep. them? <laughs> I do. I do pay okay. them. Yeah. It ends up, I've, the working interviews have taken anywhere from six hours over that three-day period of time to longer. And most, 
almost every single time that an employee ends up sticking with us, they love this. I mean, I've gotten so many compliments from people that, you know, have gone through the working interview because it just got them really pumped about the job. And, uh, you know, they, they were working the way they want to work. But that being said, yeah, I think it's only fair to, I pay them, I tell them ahead of time. I, uh, I describe it as best I can. And then I, I pay them a stipend regardless of whether they are offered the job or not. Interesting. Okay. Definitely. Okay. That seems only fair. Yeah. Sure. Well, I have three questions I end every podcast with, but there's one more item I wanted to ask you about before we get to that. I noticed that, at least on LinkedIn, uh, you list being the founder of Sogo Workspaces, and and Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's some kind of remote workspace company, or tell tell us about that, because I found that intriguing, too. Yeah, so Sogo Workspaces, it is a co-working space in Kensington that I own and run. It's a very modest size. Sogo, the term Sogo I created came from small office, green office. I was inspired by the concept when I acquired the space that I have, thinking that, and it was earlier on in the co-working space boom, that wouldn't it be nice if we could all, you know, have a, a green lower carbon footprint office near our homes is my, you know, vision. And so that was what SOGO stands for. You know, I do enjoy it and people in our neighborhood are glad to have the space. I think ultimately some of these very large real estate holders, commercial real estate, are doing quite a nice job with co-working and I can't really say that I want or can compete with them. So I, uh, I don't try. So Regus and these, uh, you know, some of these other really, you know, large um, organizations that have gotten into WeWork and things like that, they're really fantastic. So I'm glad to see that that work, um, co-working space idea has taken off, but I, uh, I didn't in invest in it to the degree that one would need to, to really have it take off. So it's just a dabble, I would call it. Okay. I had no idea. An experiment. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know if that's where your office was and you had an extra desk or, you know, how that works. So <laughs> It is where my office is and I have 15 extra desks and so, oh. and they do get used and sometimes they're used by people in the neighborhood, as I described, and people nearby. And then other times for sure, we, my team is welcome to come here as well. So the space is well used. That's for sure. Beautiful. Well, I really like the name, Sogo. Yeah, I didn't know there was a story behind it. (laughs) There is. Yeah, I was really excited about that. Yeah, so. Great name. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions, and so we probably better get to those. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Well, I would say having a team that really expresses that they like coming to work and find the work that they do to be rewarding is really something I'm very proud of. So from a career perspective, I would say. A second thing is just the relationships that I've created with my clients, the long-term relationships and the trust that they put into me. It's not a moment, it's a series of moments, (laughs) but it gives me great pride. And uh, so I, I would put it with those two. Beautiful. Yeah, it's important to have a happy team. (laughs) 
Yeah. For sure. Yep. It, yeah. Happy team <laughs> equals happy clients. <laughs> <laughs> well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you could tell us about the situation, the better, of course, because that's how we learn. Right. So thinking about this question, I'm going to, you know, of course, I have an expression in KBS that says success is learning. So uh, we, you know, that's my refrain when we've made what other people might call a mistake. So, <laughs> so uh, when there's a uh, oversight or something, I just kind of respond, well, success is learning. So we've got lots of those things that we've learned. But I'm going to select for this question my pain points centered around hourly billing. What I've learned the hard way that may sound super obvious to your audience members or not is sending clients hourly bills that surprise them is really bad for business. <laughs> and um, I, at one point, would, I guess there was an, there is or was an expression, bill and duck. I, I've done a number of those instances where I would um, work really hard and really dig in on a job and feel that I've, you know, obviously the client must know that I've spent so many hours working on it and I would uh, not realize that they didn't value all of that time being spent and I didn't ask them ahead of time in an effective way. So I don't know that's uh, very truthful and genuine and maybe a little bit more than some people would share, but I really feel like I had a lot of instances where I would feel really great about the work that I performed. The work would not be at all apparent to the client. I'm hoping some you, Mark, and some of your audience members are familiar with this scenario because it happens with accountants a lot from my world. And it's not apparent all the great accounting work you're doing. And the most tangible thing that happens is this big surprise bill that a client gets after all the work has been done. And so I always do fixed billing and price in advance. And that is a lesson I learned the hard way. I, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't. I don't know if you've ever experienced that one, Mark. Oh, yes. I'm familiar with what you're talking about. We haven't had the term bill and duck come up yet, but that is a perfect (laughs) way to describe it. That's the term that people use. Yeah, it's something like that. I definitely heard that from somebody else, but it's something like that where you're just like, you know, hoping that you don't get the phone call after you press that send button and send the bill and really think that the client is going to just hopefully pay you. There's a lot of conversation in the industry about that right now. <laughs> yeah, there is. And, um, you know, and I don't have all the answers on it for sure. I struggle, believe me, with, you know, doing things in the most effective way. But I really have come to look at that particular, you know, I have a no surprise guarantee. So a client never receive a bill from me that they're surprised by. So I, I don't think they would because of the way my system is set up, but it's still, I just try to communicate that from day one. And that is because of all the surprises that I, that I had had. Wonderful. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you personally have ever received? I guess the best piece of advice is to focus on listening first and responding second. So I don't always do that, but I think it's great advice and I really do try to um, follow that. 
Perfect. For a second there, I thought you were going to say, don't bill and duck. And <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to say, no, no. We need- you know what? I never got that advice, actually, from anyone. So it's like, it's just, I got a lot of unhappy people. But yeah, so it's funny that that is good advice. I can pass that one on to others. And it has been shared with me. But yeah, no, I just, I think that ultimately, like you and I have had this time and, you know, I've been enjoying like, answering questions and so forth. And that's kind of the format that we, you know, that we work on with this podcast. But I do really find that if I can um, take the opportunity to have a conversation where we're, you know, going back and forth, but also really just kind of focusing in on really engaged listening, it can really be very powerful. And at times, I find myself kind of reflecting on you know, what I'm going to say to somebody instead of just listening to them. It's, it can be challenging. As an advisor, you feel pressure at times to be prepared to provide that advice, but the advice comes from listening to what you've learned from the client. Beautiful. Well, that really is great advice to end this on because it, it's perfect no matter where you are in your career. So thank you very much. Sure. Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet come out to the website, please do so. We have a tremendous amount of accounting career content there for you. We just launched our second book. We have blogs. We have, obviously, a bunch of other podcasts as well. And you can find us, once again, at www dot where accountants go dot com. Well, Robin, this really has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about KBS CFO, what's the best way to contact you or, or find out more about your business? Mark, anybody who's interested in reaching me or learning more about KBS CFO or any of the things that we talked about today, please have them reach out to uh, my website, www.kbscfo.com. And I would love to hear from you and look forward to collaborating with anybody and learning and listening too. So if anybody has anything to add to what we've talked about, I'm very happy to hear from them as well. Beautiful very easy to remember. Well, I wanted to thank the audience as well for joining us. We couldn't do it without you. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.